Antonia, I wanted to say a special thanks to you in the name of the whole crowdfarming team because I know that you personally were were very hesitant to do this podcast with us because you're actually, as we say in German, sitting between two stools. You're the daughter of dairy farmers and the friend of a lot of vegan colleagues. You have lots of vegan friends as well. So it is a very tough decision to or like a really tough position to be in and a very tough position to defend. And it feels like no matter what you say, you're going to be offending someone talking about such a complex and controversial subject as animal husbandry, right? Yeah, I think in general, in the internet, in media, in startups and at crowd farming, it's much easier to be on the vegan side. And there's also many arguments, but I'm farmer at heart and I grew up between cows. So, um, I see the place that animals have in agriculture and that we need them to develop a sustainable future agriculture. Then it's up to each consumer's decision to participate in the consumption of the products, for sure. And I feel with all of the sites, I see the arguments. Yeah, and it's difficu difficult um, to find a good sustainable way in between to combine both sides and find a way for the future. And that is the discussion we are having in this podcast. It's It's touchy and it makes me nervous, for sure. Well, thank you for your bravery. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of What the Field. I'm Emmeline. And I'm Chris. Hi, I'm Antonia. So Antonia is actually one of our very own agronomists, um, one of the team members that works directly on the field with our farmers, specifically in Germany and Austria. Mm -hmm. And Christina, or Chris, is our Director of Sustainability, who might uh, already be familiar to you from previous episodes. Maybe. <laughs> so today, we're all crowd farming internals, basically, exceptionally, to talk about animal husbandry and why we sell cheese. And the reason why we want to do that is because we actually receive quite a lot of questions from customers or even people who are interested in buying at crowd farming uh, who have several doubts as to whether this is sustainable, what's the difference between the cheese at the supermarket and the cheese that you buy at crowd farming, etc. So this is what we're going to talk about today. So Chris, and also Antonia, of course, if you want to comment, the famous and probably most frequent question, it's not even a question, but it's almost an accusation that we receive, is that it is not sustainable or how can we call ourselves a sustainable company and at the same time sell cheese? What do you say to that? Okay, so first of all, I would say that the way we see sustainability here at Crowd Farming is not black and white. Uh, it's not, it's a lot of things we can say, this is not sustainable for us, but there's a lot of nuances and gray areas in a lot of things. So the way we have decided for now to look at this cheese thing is that not all of our crowd, farming, crowd farmers are vegan. And we want to provide to um, those crowd farmers that are not the option to eat, uh, eat, eat and buy cheese, knowing where is it coming from and who's producing it. And within this, the crowd farming standards of both sustainability and fairness to the farmers. And that's why we have a team like Antonia's to actually um, go to each farm and study it in a case by case scenario. Then going into, I guess, the, the most typical questions that we get asked about sustainability, um, and then we will get into other um, topics, but are emissions and water. Exactly. Um, 
in emissions, uh, it's true that um, anim uh, livestock, uh, it's a um, big part of food emissions. So if food emissions, it's around 25% of the total emissions that we, that we have in the planet. Livestock, fishery, and crop production for those uh, that livestock, it's around 30%. So that's a lot. Mm -hmm. But within livestock, we have different things. We have production uh, production for meat, we have production for dairy, and we have a lot of different ways of farming. Okay, so uh, in emissions, what we can see is that um, dairy, for example, it's a its emissions are way lower. It they can go from five to seven times lower than than meat emissions. But this is tricky too because many times these two industries are very mixed together. So yeah. we cannot make this really uh, separate, separately yeah, mm. line between the both of them. In water is where we see cheese losing. Okay, because in the production of of cheese we use a lot of water and probably Antonia knows much more about this but uh, it's true that to produce the same amount of cheese uh, than of regular mm, um, milk we need to use at least like nine times more water and twice the water we need for a kilogram of meat that is true but depends on the type of meat right i heard that like of course inside cows of this, yeah. meat versus pork does need a lot more water even than cheese, right? Exactly. So it depends a lot, and this is these are all averages. But it all it is also like we why we look at this in a case by case scenario is that because we don't have the the same amount of water in each place, and the same water management is not done in each farm. So this is why it's super useful that we have a, a strong team looking at case by case scenario, right? Also, we're looking looking at how uh, this part of farming is not sustainable, but now more and more we're he hearing about the term regenerative farming. And regenerative farming does the opposite. It uses livestock to actually retain carbon in the soil and drive, the th drive it the other way around. So once more, um, we have to look at it. What we have decided for now is that we are going to sell cheese and we're going to review this. We have the re responsibility because we have the direct connection between farmers and uh, consumers to raise awareness, to let them know the impact of, of their decisions, that we are responsible of how we produce with people uh, like Antonia mm -hmm. and how we consume. And uh, it's maybe, maybe it's not only about what we eat, that of course is super relevant, but also how much we eat, how mm -hmm. is it being produced? And that's what we're trying to raise awareness about. Yeah. Okay, long, great. Long answer. <laughs> no, but it's a, it's a complicated topic. And maybe I would like to add that comparing the um, footprint, the water footprint of milk to the water footprint of cheese. By definition, it has to be much more, nine times more, ten times more, as you said, because cheese is basically the concentrate of milk. Of it's the concentrated version. So you, with each kilo of cheese, you're eating ten liters of milk. Okay, okay, that's actually quite logical, but it's true that you don't yeah, we necessarily about think it. about no. it that way, yeah. That's no, there's I a lot of it. ways to m to compare this, like caloric um, comparison. There's yeah, so it's um, it's a lot of nuances within the topic. Yeah, units. Okay, so Antonia, as Chris already mentioned, um, you are working with the farmers and you see different farming methods, and I would like to get into that. Like, you are yourself. Maybe we should mention this to our audience <laughs> as well, who doesn't know uh, the. F 
daughter of dairy farmers. So you mm-hmm. grew up on a dairy farm. So you're really, um, I would say, embedded almost naturally <laughs> into this environment. Um, yeah. You've you've seen dairy farms early all your life. Now you work with dairy farmers, um, among others. And so I wanted to ask you, for you, from what you've seen, what's the difference between crowd farming farmers and uh, regular farmers, let's say? Well, you start off with a very easy question. <laughs> no. yeah. I mean, it's true that um, I'm in the privileged position to really know um, firsthand each farmer that we're working with in the crowd farming network. Uh, we have the condition for farmers to enter our network that they have to work according to organic standards or they have to be in transition in the conversion process to the organic certificate. I think this is probably the first and most important feature that you can lightly highlight. What does that mean for the dairy sector? Being yeah. organic or not organic? Yeah, being organic or not organic means... Basically, you can sum it up to a couple of very important points. Each animal has more space, be it inside the barn or outside the barn. Each animal has to have access to an outdoor space. It can just be um, like a paddock paddock where Mm -hmm. they can just run around. Or if nature environment, the farm and all the conditions around allow it, it's uh, usually a green meadow as we imagine it. Um, that's space, access to outside area, restricted and very controlled limited use of medication, Mm -hmm. which much more follow-up and more waiting period. And then there's a big part of control and regulations on the feet. Usually a higher percentage, depending on which extra organic private label you add on top of the European label, um, a higher percentage of the feet has to be farm grown from the same from the farm where the animals live on and um, in the rest food in the remaining food feed that is bought from outside external feed there can't be any GM yeah, sources plants inside for, for example soy is an important part of concentrate feed for milk production and in organic farms you can't have GM soy in the feed Okay, so just to clarify, you're talking about genetically modified. Exactly. Well, when you GMO, say yeah. GMO, yeah, perfect. Probably most people know, but in case someone doesn't. No, you're totally right, sorry. Okay, so this is one aspect, right? So farmers of crowd farming, I think this goes for, or I know that this goes for all of our farmers, not just for the dairy farmers. They have to be either organic or in transition to organic, so already working, applying organic mm-hmm. uh, standards. There might be... As, at least with the German Austrian farmers I work with, there might be one exception maybe with a farmer who um, has different other labels but not the organic one. But these are really, really audited exceptions where we went personally to the farms as to all other farms. We looked at the practices. I validated that it works acor- the farm works according to organic uh, guidelines and even far beyond. So there's always this farmer... Um, farmer and uh, crowd farming relation and uh, direct check. Okay. And then on the other hand, I mean, there's enough people who do say organic is not necessarily sustainable. It's arguably more sustainable than conventional, but kind of also depends on whether 
the farmer has a really big farm, if it has, if it's a family-owned business, etc., in the concrete practices applied. So, from what you've seen, would you say that your farmers are more sustainable in the way they farm or in the way they do their, like produce their cheese? Question to you first. Uh, <laughs> Which aspects of sustainability do you want me to talk about? Whatever comes to mind, actually, because as we know from Chris, I mean, sustainability can mean a lot of things from water use and emissions, also I to think that the goes, land, the soil. That goes back to the question that I think I believe we've talked uh, about in other podcasts, that it's a farmer can be super sustainable and have amazing practices and not have organic certified mm -hmm. and the other way around you exactly. can have just a comply with those measures and maybe just do the them to comply and that's it and not be very sustainable so the certification doesn't make but it's it puts everyone under the same bar and i think that's that's super important for a platform like ours that it's about transparency and uh, it's not only the word the word and the visit of our farmer uh, of our farmer uh, for agronomist team it's also about a standard that people sh are beginning to recognize and i think we should be pro mm, that yeah of course i mean let's take a step back why is why do you think or why is there the opinion anyways that animal farming and animal husbandry, living off animal products is not sustainable. Why is it? Because I think um, we went a step too far. If we look back into history, there's 12,000 years of history that the human evolved around and with animals and agriculture. So we really co-evolved and yeah, personally in my life, I co-evolved 30 years now with and around the animals. And I can tell you that the human body adopt, adapted to the animals and the animals in some part adapted to the humans. Mm. Now there are many different views on this. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's difficult to question that our body is made to digest at least a small part, a small percentage also of animal origin originated feed. But you can argue that nowadays where we have the options and we have a lot of knowledge, you can opt for a vegan diet. And that is usually the question that is behind all this criticism on, um, on cheese production, on meat production, on milk production. By, by our DNA, we are made to have a, a part of animal diet in our animal product in our diet. And if you decide that you want to give animal produce a part in your diet, probably you want to decide where should these products come from? Come How from should they produce? I think that's a good point. And I have to say, I mean, obviously, as we can already see uh, in our own company from our own consumers, not everyone wants to live without animal products and probably um, depending on how you go about it, everyone has the right to decide what they eat and what they don't eat. And I think an, an point you were also trying to make, Chris, earlier was that we are not here to tell people what they can and cannot eat. And we're simply trying to offer a better alternative, right? Yes, that's true. If we were to believe, like, and that's, we, we review some of our, uh, convictions uh, every now and then and 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 
some of them are more polemic than others. If we were to believe at some point that something we are offering in a web page, I believe, um, is not aligned with our values, we would not offer it maybe. But but this is something we, we review. Um, and at the moment, of course, we cannot tell people what to what to eat or not to eat, but we can offer that what we believe is sustainable and fair in our standards. And at the moment, that's why we go case by case. We're not saying the whole um, dairy industry is fair and is sustainable, but we visit our farmers and we believe those ones and the, the ones we select comply with our standards. And that's why we're offering that. Yeah. Okay. Okay, thanks for clarifying that. I mean, I think a lot of the discussion, um, why it is even put into question whether consumption of dairy, consumption of meat, etc., is sustainable, is actually came a little bit with the advent of these macro farms, right? So basically, you could say they're almost meat or dairy factories because you have, in a very industrial setting, a huge amount of animals living in, for me, abominable, really sad circumstances. I think we can all agree on that. Very, very inhumane conditions where they can not move, not turn around. I mean, Antonio, probably you know even more details on this than I do. So I think it would be interesting to talk about, like, what is the deal with these macro farms and um, what is actually the difference Important. I think most consumers would agree, especially in Europe, because we still have the old agricultural landscape in mind. Yeah. And we have the pictures and we know how a family farm looks like, because luckily we're in this lucky situation. And in Europe, we still have a lot of family farms hmm. and we would like to eat food that comes from family farms. Yeah. But as you said, in the last maybe 50 years, more and more factory farms that are not family run, um, were yeah coming up and their conditions are different they're more profit driven it's not the owner who stands maybe in the barn works with the animal but the owner is behind a desk and is managing so there are structural differences they also don't uh, mm, give as much value to rural life to village to communities and they have environmental and yeah environmental and animal welfare issues and here we have to start separate and thinking in two lines when we talk about sustainable animal husbandry. The consumer has two main issues with animal husbandry, which don't always go hand in hand, which is uh, animal welfare and then environmental sustainability, like, for example, water footprint, Christina talked about, land usage and um, emissions, greenhouse gas emissions. So sus which kind of animal husbandry is more sustainable if we have both environmental environmental impact and animal husbandry, uh, animal welfare in mind? It's impossible sometimes to decide. You have really a farmer is every day in the decision, sometimes torn between two ways of, of deciding running the farm. Do I prioritize animal welfare above all? Or do I prioritize environmental sustainability, reducing my carbon foot, my greenhouse gas emissions, the animal emissions to the most possible? Do I want my pig locked up in a barn so that the greenhouse gas emissions from the pig and from the slurry don't get outside the barn? 
or do I want to open up the stable, bring light and air into the stable, have the animals, the cows, the goats running outside, inside, depending on the weather, but then also free-flowing of the emissions to the atmosphere. With the quantity of animal products of cheese and dairy that we consume right now, we triggered the rise of factory farms, of huge farms. And there we have a multiplication of greenhouse gas emissions and other negative impacts. If we take a step back, which is what I think, which is my take, my opinion on animal husbandry, if we take a step, step back, slow down, consume a bit, little bit less and look behind the product that we want to consume, we can push it back into family farms, smaller quantities, less animals, a farmer who cares for the animal, like I lived my whole life, my, my father, my mother, my sister, they wake up every day, they stand in the barn, they know each animal, they know its strength, its weaknesses, its history, whether it's a curious cow, whether it's an annoying cow, whether she's shy, whether she is uh, loves to cuddle. <laughs> and they, they live for the animals, with the animals. Um, yeah, I think this is, the, this is the type of farms that we want to have, but then we need to slow down with our consumption. I'm, yeah. I'm very sure. Yes. At the, at the end, we're just, uh, or the market is just responding to demand. That's, uh, I guess it has to be said, uh, in ex not to excuse these macro farms and the conditions they have, they hold the animals in, but they're at the end of the day responding to an existing demand, which yeah. is big quantities of cheap meat, cheap cheese. And it's so emotional because I can tell you, if you live, if you are the owner of the farm, the farmer, and you're still on this size of family farms where you're in touch with the animals each day because you have to respond to the pressure of the market you see the you see what is good or bad for your animals you would like to keep for example male calves on your farm because you feel it better because you don't want to send them away to a fattening farm where you don't exactly know whether they because they are good ones where they're treated fantastic and they're not so nice ones but it's out of your control and I talk to farmers every day, and I've go gone through it myself, you would love to keep them all and fatten them on your own farm and then sell them. But there's so many limitations, and there's not a good market for it, and you won't get a good price. So maybe then you would have to sell your cows, all your cows, because, yeah, you can't. You can't. You can't survive. You can't do it all, no. Yeah. Unless the consumer decides to give the farmer a market for it, there's for the moment no way, and I see so many farm farmers torn between the two sides. It's so difficult. So what is the difference between a cheese that I buy at the supermarket from maybe the supermarket brand, uh, possibly even at a discounter like Lidl, Aldi, and all of these, or just a cheese that I buy from a family farm, for example, from one of your farmers? There's still quite a big amount of many many farms in Europe that produce milk and deliver to a very small amount of very very big dairy plants. Mm -hmm. I know the German market, I know that there are maybe a handful of big huge dairy plants, um, big company names, if I would name them you would probably recognize them directly and they kind of control the largest share of the milk market. Mm. Mm. 
that doesn't mean that if you buy cheese made in one of these big dairy plants, you don't buy cheese made from milk, made with milk from small, amazing, super cool, fantastic family farms. They just, they are in this network, in this mill, they can't escape and they deliver to one of these big five, for example. You have maybe a great farm anonymously behind a huge cheese making factory who dictates the price. So this is the issue, I think. There's a lack of transparency, there's a lack of knowledge, and it's just a usually quite boring standardized product. Difference at crowd farming, I only pick farms that not only are family farms, but they also decided to take the second step of milk processing onto their own farm. Mm -hmm. They decided to invest a lot of money and build their own cheese factory, a little Hofkäserei, we would say in German, a little farm cheese factory where they themselves turn their own milk by hand into cheese, not by machines, completely machine-driven as you would have it in one of the big dairy factories um, throughout the land, but by themselves, the husband, um, the family, or some few employees that they really... I've been there, I've been in the cheese factories it's, uh, in these small farm cheeseries. It's amazing. They really bring the their milk in. Sometimes it's not even cooled down after milking. They directly um, add all the... What's lapped called in English? The rennet. The rennet to it, then they cut the cheese, then um, as soon as it thickens up, they fill it into the small molds by hand. After eight hours of of dripping out the the way they turn them around they give it into the salt bath and then comes f at least four sometimes six sometimes month of brushing by hand with salt or with culture with cheese culture it's an incredibly loving caring intense process of producing a unique piece of food and i think this concept of turning milk into cheese at the farm only with the milk of this farm is what um, what offers this wide variety of tastes, of flavors, of great cheese experiences. And that's why we have so many cheese lovers buying at Crowd Farming, because it's a much more unique produ product than mixing the milk of 3,000 farms in one big dairy factory and turning it each day into tons of the same standard cheese. Yeah, by m using machinery more than... Loving hands. Exactly. <laughs> it's still it's, <laughs> it's still nutritious and it's still a safe and um, a safe and uh, probably yeah okay product, but it's just not an experience. Not if you're a real cheese lover. So Chris and I are not dreaming of tasting <laughs> this cheese right oh. now. <laughs> I talk to the farmers and they tell me yeah, thanks to the direct sale, I was able to, for example, enable that the calves stay at least two weeks with a mother cow, for example, because I put an extra top, like an extra bit on the price, cost my consumers are willing to pay more mm -hmm. to pay for this knowledge that the calves stay two weeks with a, with a mother cow or other additions on the farm. But there's a limit to it. I was actually wanting to ask about this because this is probably also one of the more frequent questions we get is, Or, or even attacks we receive being like, okay, but your farmers are terrible because they separate 
the mother animal from its baby, right? Be it a cow, be it a goat, be it sheep. Usually, almost every dairy farmer for a very long time. This doesn't have to do with modern farming, not at all, at least um, in the areas I know in Austria and in Germany. They have been separating usually on day one directly after calving, just the giving giving birth, birth yeah. of the cow. After calving, they separate the calf or the little goat or the sh mm, the sheep. The lamb, yeah. yeah. The lamb from the sheep. This makes totally sense. Like you really have to know most farmers. All farmers do things for a reason. They don't just make it up. They do it for a reason. And if you mm, there's an economic reason and there's also an animal welfare reason. Mm -hmm. Because first of all, if if you um, leave the calf or the sheep with the, uh, the lamb with the sheep, you will not get the milk. The little kid will get the milk as it's supposed by nature. If you then want to separate after a few days, because at some point you say, okay, I cannot run a farm, I cannot live off this, if I just um, don't milk the animal anymore, you lose you would lose the milk otherwise you separate them later and mm -hmm. grief is much higher they started to build up a real relationship there's much more bonding you separate them and they suffer they really get sick of suffering the alternative would be to wait at least two weeks that that is why i mentioned this example if you and then you do step by step step-by-step step separation. For example, during some hours of the day, you separate the calf from the mother cow and then you bring them back over the night. That way the calf starts getting some other feed or some other milk, but also keeps suckling maybe during the hours they are together. What does this mean? A lot of extra management because the farmer has to look after each cow, match the right cow with the right calf, bring them back together, bring the cow to the milking shed, lots of management and these are so many extra hours that have to be paid yeah right for sure um, okay. if you want to do it on, in a nice way and not causing even more suffering it's very expensive and complicated I know many of our farmers uh, take the opportunity that you have at crowd farming because we talk about this on the farmer pages in what adopt in the section what about adopt on each um, farmer page a project page of crowd farming for each farmer you can read what do we do with the offspring of the animals what do we do with the male offspring how do we work if you if there's any information that you would like to have more info on ask us write us and we can yeah go yeah. more into detail i think it is actually really important uh, to spread knowledge or information, like foster this exchange, because especially people living in the cities probably have never set foot in a cow stall <laughs> <laughs> or even a farm in general, uh, much less a dairy farm. And I think sometimes it's also very easy to judge someone if you're very far removed from that person's reality and you don't really know why they're doing what they do and it's not necessarily them wanting to be cruel to their animals as you mentioned earlier they do have a bond and they do have a relationship with their animals and they would maybe even wish right to do things differently but this is simply their reality as far as i've understood so maybe this is also something where it's okay let's have some empathy and let's try to understand to basically as they say walk into their in their shoes before 
judging them, right? Yes, I think that what is beautiful about uh, direct sales is that um, you get to know that food is not just like cheese is not just cheese. There's thousands of different ways to do this, uh, to do it, and you learn how is it done and how this particular cheese is done. And when I know, I can decide: do I want to eat it or don't I want to eat it? But you can you can make informed decisions. The thing is that we we have been treating for some time now food as a commodity and we don't make differences like amongst oranges or cheese or whatever. And then you if you don't have all of that information, it is very difficult to decide or, as you say, super easy to judge. And I think that's what's beautiful about this, that people like um, Antonia's farmers can tell their story and then people can decide. And it's not no, mandatory to yeah, eat it, of to course. Eat cheese. Yes. Yeah. Of course. So I do have another very specific question that stems from things I've seen on social media or even emails we've received. And it's that um, actually in our, that organic farming supposedly is worse for the animals because, as you mentioned earlier, the use of medicine is restricted. So when the animal does get sick... Farmers cannot treat it properly. For example, they cannot administer antibiotics, so the animal suffers more. They say. Okay. What do you say as, a, as the agronomist here? According to everything I've seen and according to how far I know the regulation, this is absolutely not true. So you can, of course, to treat an animal well, use antib antibiotics in organic farming. To according to the European European framework for organic agriculture, mm -hmm. there is stricter regulations on um, how often you can use it in the lifespan of an animal, and if you have for some reasons use it more often than it is allowed in a year, for example, you have to separate this animal from the organic production and sell the produce for a while as conventional. What does this make to the farmer? What does it do to the farmer? It provokes that the farmer thinks is more careful with the animal, tries to prevent disease as much as possible. And if there's a disease, which will always happen, as it happens with humans, as it will always happen with animals, and an animal has a value, so you want to protect its life and you will consider medication, but the farmer will consider different medication first. Um, the farmer will think about alternatives, maybe even um, uh, natural remedies. It's like yeah, natural alternative medicine alternative for medicine. Exactly. I mean, humans do it too, right? The same thing. And then Kay. if it doesn't work or if it's a severe case, up to the farmer's decision, um, he or she will use antibiotics for the animal. And then in organic agriculture, you have a twice as long waiting period to start using and selling the milk, for example, in dairy farming, again, as in um, conventional farming. This is a precaution so that we don't get antibiotic residues, that we don't take up antibiotic residues in our food as humans in the milk. It's already quite strictly controlled in conventional dairy farming, but then there's just an extra security margin doubled up time like period in organic yeah okay we do have national labels um in spain for example is enor bienestar animal in um germany it's i think tiervor mm -hmm. uh in austria you have labels like the ama gutesiegel so 
probably even investing in the UK they have their own uh, animal welfare label some kind of seal on the package that at least leads us to believe that this animal has had a better life or this is somehow a superior product it's difficult to know when when an animal is uh, it's happier <laughs> because yeah. it's, it's difficult to know with us humans and, and where's the limit exactly. like when do we pass and how happy does it need to be and and yeah. we've seen uh in our uh, area in sustainability we've been looking at this and it's super complex and we've seen studies that say for example that animals are happier because they are with other peers close together but if they're crowded <laughs> i don't think they're very happy and maybe they're happier if they are wandering around the countries and, and so and on their own yeah. yes so um it's very complex what i do believe of th certifications is that you have someone going there and going through a list and having series of standards and i think sometimes as with organic maybe it's not enough but it's moving in their in one direction so better than nothing is what you're saying. yes but again so for farmers i guess it's difficult to have more and more standards to comply with so that you get a certain price so i see both sides and i don't have this is what i've heard i don't have one opinion and i think it's a super complex topic that could lead us to even philosophical uh, <laughs> issues Discussions, like yeah. what is being happy what is happening <laughs> yes, yes. good one we if we now have to deal as a farmer with new standards as the animal welfare as the Tierwohl in Germany, consumers also need to, it's a, it's a step in the right direction maybe because it will push many farmers to do much, many changes on the farms. But on the other side, the consumer is pushing farmers very hard. And if we want to keep family farms, sometimes we need to push a little softer, I think. Farmers are kicked out of supermarket uh, chains. Farmer, farmers are kicked out of the market if they don't adhere and comply to, for example, the Tierwohl, the animal welfare um, certification. The certification themselves, there are scientists and maybe um, agronomists sitting, making up these rules, and they change them way too often. They and update it's expensive them process, yeah. all the time. Hmm. And especially family farms, if you just changed your stable, you did a big constructional work, you changed uh, having at least per pig one, per every 10 pigs you need a window in the stable, for example. And then one year later it says, no, you need two, two windows. windows. Yeah. You open up the whole stable again, you invest again 20,000 euros, or you say, you know, I'm and just more And is the pig really happier because it shares a window with nine other pigs? Every day... Many farms, like several hundreds of farms, are closing in Europe also because of this. And yeah. we are pushing towards, with this, we're pushing towards uh, factory farms to big industrial farming. So before we end this podcast, I do have a few more questions. What happens with male animals that are born? Because there's lots of people that are vegetarians because they say, okay, I don't want to... I don't want an animal to die because I eat meat. But on the other hand, I mean, milk comes at least. We haven't managed any genetic modification to the contrary so far. But as of today, milk comes only from the female animal. So anytime a male animal is born to whatever type of animal that gives milk, a goat, a cow, sheep, it is 
usually yeah what we, happens with we have it? to produce offspring obviously yeah um, so you so have you have the life cycle in in the dairy herd um, which is very very close to nature because if these animals live outside in nature there's always a male around um, so they so do the keep animals, some of them it's not they're not all sent no not to, like, not all slaughterhouse no no I'm um, sorry you got me wrong I mean <laughs> in the dairy herd yeah we work with the res- reproduction cycle with a very close reproduction cycle that means male uh, female animals goats cows sheep have to get pregnant they're in gestation they're pregnant for a couple of months then they have give birth to the offspring and that is why they produce milk logically the, yes. this milk is what we live from as humans Outside in nature, they would do the same thing because there's always a maid around to to inseminate, <laughs> and they would always be pregnant as well. The only difference is if a cow in nature does not get pregnant anymore because she's too old, too sick, and fer- fertile, she mm-hmm. can probably just carry on with her life in the herd, and sometimes sometimes she dies, which is more difficult in dairy farming because of the economical aspects, and a farmer cannot always afford to keep. Um, a weak cow that doesn't get pregnant I anymore. I mean, cows eat a lot, so yeah, they are expensive. <laughs> and yeah. some farmers I know they try, they try to keep them. Do we have they any farmers? Find, um, do we have any farmers that do that? Do you know them? Personally? I know that, for example, Ramona from um, um, from from the Alps, they are producing mountain cheese, Algoya mountain cheese. She's trying to how to keep the animals. Many many cows she already kept on the farm, but she says, "Hey, it's so difficult. It's so expensive. How can I? And you need the can space I really also. can I really l- raise raise the price of my cheese so much?" So she she's doing efforts. Linda from Bauerfrei, guys, she's constantly thinking about these processes. Same thing with the calves. More or less, fifty percent of the calves will turn out male. This is law by nature. Yeah. Mm, the female calves they come in handy because you can use them to either enlarge or substitute other animals in your herd. Because at some point, you know, if always animals dying, dropping out, you use the you keep the female calves, you raise them up, you keep them in the herd, or you can sell them to other dairy farmers. Male calves are usually, yeah, they don't give milk. You don't want to keep them on the farm, so you have two options. You keep them for meat production on your own farm mm-hmm. or you sell them to a fattening farm both um, both options are done but it's just not as as easy for a dairy farmer as it is for a fattening uh, farm to, to keep these animals they have to find solutions they have to find a way to commercialize that meat also as organic and there's not as much market demand as it is for the organic milk Talk to Linda from Bauerfreigers, go and visit the farm, try the cheese and talk with her because she's working on a concept, how to keep the brother calves, as she calls them, the male calves on the farm. Um, if you have a good idea, if you know how to commercialize the cheese, paying also the, the brother calves inside the whole farming concept, then um, yeah, we'll be really happy because we are thinking about it a lot. Well, now that we're at the end of this, thank you so much, Antonia, for this explanation. And that we've talked about these more difficult topics. And, you know, there's enough people saying, okay, but if this is the situation, then wouldn't it be just better 
in this in this sense of like avoiding animal cruelty, whatever that means to you, to not have animals at your farm and to not ye- produce cheese at all, which is obviously a very f- fundamental, very philosophical question. Um, also keeping in mind all of the uh, cultural aspects and uh, the cultural role of cheese and in the culinary traditions of a lot of countries, especially France, but I mean also mm. Germany, <laughs> also Spain. So it's kind of hard to imagine France without, it's like saying France without wine, right? right. In, in wine. a sense. Yeah, Netherlands. And in the Netherlands. And exactly. So I think with many cheese nations. And then, and then as you said, after all, animal husbandry is, something that has been done for a large large part of humanity since humans have become settlers basically right so it's um there is also land we cannot use without animals exactly There's marginal land uh, not so fertile land uh, vast grasslands and we have the amazing help of ruminants which are sheep and goats and cows that can eat grass and turn it into delicious cheese. Otherwise, we would just not use these lands. Or even there, uh, in our founder's farm, Naranjazel Carmen, the orange farm, he now has sheep grazing between the orange trees. Um, one, okay, to have natural lawnmowers, obviously, <laughs> <laughs> with reduced energy price. But on the sheep, other hand, sheep, sheep mowers. <laughs> yeah. But on the other hand, as we already touched upon with Chris uh, much earlier on in this podcast, also because it's essentially part of uh, regenerative farming practices and it can actually help revive the soil. And it's, it's becoming really interesting, the part of integrating livestock. Um, I think it's... Uh, trying to mimic nature in that sense um it's designed it's not just a, a lot of regenerative f- farmers and associations um when we talk to them they they tell us like people think like regenerative uh, agriculture is just leaving it like living nature to be and it's not like that there's a lot of study need to like need to be made and you have to be a true expert of how it works and it's not just pushing the sheep in there and just because they can destroy your trees or things like that. So it's very well designed so that it's, it gets to a balance where everything is working and it's driving a lot of beautiful things of, for example, um, farmers, uh, of agriculture and livestock coming together and mixing both their, their parts. And one has, uh, some, um, grass to feed on and the other one gets compost and things like this and I think this symbiosis is super beautiful and it can be very powerful and at the end there's a fertilizing the exactly. soil in a natural manner you don't have to use artificial fertilizers yeah, for yeah. Synthetic we might even run out of a synthetic fertilizers, fertilizers. at some point or oh, they get very expensive also they the already production. are right with the with the crisis in the current and the crisis mm-hmm. okay so one very last question yeah. what do we need to do to make the sector the livestock sector or animal husbandry mm, more sustainable or more ethical? Like you can pick an aspect. Maybe you get the sustainable question and <laughs> and Antonia gets the animal welfare related question. Um, I think it's about information, knowing the source and uh, maybe reducing how much you eat because a lot of uh, many times the question with all of this is, 
if we stop eating it, if we only eat organic, it's too pricey, it's there's not enough for all, things like that. So step by step, like um, try moving that way, know the source, and maybe it's you shouldn't eat so much so much cheese uh, across the, w- the week. Maybe it's limiting your portions and seeing how much you eat and buying it from a source you know uh, or an organic source. And yeah, I would like, I think it's... Um, it's becoming more and more fun for people to to get to the source of what they're eating and um, and even um, restaurants are moving into that and I think cheese is no um, it, it's in the same trend so yeah I would I would try different cheeses ex- like research where it comes from or know the source and go visit I think what's amazing about um, about direct sales, not only crowd farmings, but f- farmers market, whatever. It's that um, you get to see with your own eyes what's happening, and I think and that's where you farmer. get your mm, uh, your sense of this. I don't like what's happening here. This I or have a this good feeling I really about like something it, or yeah. not. Yeah. So I think it's going back to the source a bit. Yeah. Wow. I like that answer, Antonia. Can you top that? Mm. <laughs> I cannot top that. That was amazing. Um, Go out and talk to farmers. Like really open up your mind. Um, there is a strong, there's such a strong debate between environmental protection, nature protection, or or agriculture. And we need to find a way how to do it at the same time because we cannot afford to stop agriculture. We need food, and we cannot afford to not protecting our environment. So we need to find a way to doing the same both things at the same time on the same surfaces. And we need to build together a new, more creative, more sustainable farming system, animal husbandry system. Go out, talk to the farmers, get their opinion instead of blaming them for uh, uh, for what is happening. Because there's many things going wrong, but there's so many things going well. Yeah, Meet the farmers or digitally at crowd farming or meet them next door and support those, the ones that you that you like. I think that's a, that's a very nice answer to and <laughs> in the end of the day probably maybe that's this is what might actually be wrong with the whole debate of vegans versus non-vegans of environmental protection NGOs versus mm, big companies maybe we should actually go ask the farmers what do you need to do better what do you need for this to work out both for environmental protection and um, also maybe even animal welfare so we don't we don't really do that I feel in the whole uh, debate in society no one asks is asking the farmers what do they need to do better there's just people criticizing and people defending yeah. and giving them a list of things to comply yeah yeah sure. and I think with with these we're not saying you should eat cheese and eating cheese is good I think it's about making conscious decisions like know how it is done and then decide if you you align with that or not yeah okay well thank you very much uh for being with me here today chris and antonia for taking the pleasure thank you very much and thank you so much to our audience for being with us for another episode having the patience of listening (laughs) through all of that And yeah, we hope you enjoyed this little field trip into the world of animal husbandry and why we sell cheese.
Until next time, bye.